Chapter Three of The Wrecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wrecker by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter Three to introduce Mr. Pinkerton. The stranger, I have said, was some years older than myself a man of a good stature, a very lively face, cordial, agitated manners, and a grey eye as active as a fowl's. "'May I have a word with you?' said I. "'My dear sir,' he replied, "'I don't know what it can be about, but you may have a hundred if you like.' "'You have just left the side of a young lady,' I continued, towards whom I was led, very unintentionally, into the appearance of an offence. To speak to herself would be only to renew her embarrassment, and I seized the occasion of making my apology and declaring my respect to one of my own sex who is her friend, and perhaps, I added with a bow, her natural protector. "'You are a countryman of mine, I know it,' he cried. "'I am sure of it by your delicacy to a lady. You do her no more than justice. I was introduced to her the other night at tea, in the apartment of some people, friends of mine, and meeting her again this morning I could not do less than carry her easel for her.' "'My dear sir, what is your name?' I was disappointed to find he had so little bond with my young lady, and but that it was I who had sought the acquaintance might have been tempted to retreat. At the same time, something in the stranger's eye engaged me. "'My name,' said I, "'is Loudon Dodd. I am a student of sculpture here from Muskegon.' "'Of sculpture!' he cried, as though that would have been his last conjecture. "'Mine is James Pinkerton. I am delighted to have the pleasure of your acquaintance.' Pinkerton, it was now my turn to exclaim, are you broken stool, Pinkerton? He admitted his identity with a laugh of boyish delight, and indeed any young man in the quarter might have been proud to own a sobriquet thus gallantly acquired. In order to explain the name, I must here digress into a chapter of the history of manners in the nineteenth century, very well worth commemoration for its own sake. In some of the studios at that date, the hazing of new pupils was both barbarous and obscene. Two incidents, following one on the heels of the other, tended to produce an advance in civilization, by the means, as so commonly happens, of a passing appeal to savage standards. The first was the arrival of a little gentleman from Armenia. He had a fez upon his head, and, what nobody counted on, a dagger in his pocket. The hazing was set about in the customary style, and perhaps, in virtue of the victim's headgear, even more boisterously than usual. He bore it at first with an inviting patience, but upon one of the students proceeding to an unpardonable freedom, plucked out his knife and suddenly plunged it in the belly of the jester. This gentleman, I am pleased to say, passed months upon a bed of sickness, before he was in a position to resume his studies. The second incident was that which had earned Pinkerton his reputation. In a crowded studio, while some very filthy brutalities were being practiced on a troubling debutante, a tall, pale fellow sprang from his stool and, without the smallest preface or explanation, sang out, All English and Americans to clear the shop! Our race is brutal but not filthy, and the summons was nobly responded to. Every Anglo-Saxon student seized his stool. In a moment the studio was full of bloody coxcombs, the French fleeing in disorder for the door, the victim liberated and amazed. In this feat of arms both English-speaking nations covered themselves with glory, 
but i am proud to claim the author of the whole for an american and a patriotic american at that being the same gentleman who had subsequently to be held down in the bottom of a box during a performance of l'oncle sam sobbing at intervals my country oh my country while yet another my new acquaintance pinkerton was supposed to have made the most conspicuous figure in the actual battle at one blow he had broken his own stool and sent the largest of his opponents back foremost through what we used to call a conscientious nude it appears that in the continuation of his flight this fallen warrior issued on the boulevard still framed in the burst canvas it will be understood how much talk the incident aroused in the students quarter and that i was highly gratified to make the acquaintance of my famous countryman it chanced i was to see more of the quixotic side of his character before the morning was done for as we continued to stroll together i found myself near the studio of a young frenchman whose work i had promised to examine and in the fashion of the quarter carried up pinkerton along with me some of my comrades of this date were pretty obnoxious fellows i could almost always admire and respect the grown-up practitioners of art in paris but many of those who were still in a state of pupilage were sorry specimens so much so that i used often to wonder where the painters came from and where the brutes of students went to a similar mystery hangs over the intermediate stages of the medical profession and must have perplexed the least observant the ruffian at least whom i now carried pinkerton to visit was one of the most crapulous in the quarter he turned out for our delectation a huge crust as we used to call it of st stephen wallowing in red upon his belly in an exhausted receiver and a crowd of hebrews in blue green and yellow pelting him apparently with buns and while we gazed upon this contrivance regaled us with a piece of his own recent biography of which his mind was still very full and which he seemed to fancy represented him in a heroic posture i was one of those cosmopolitan americans who accept the world whether at home or abroad as they find it and whose favorite part is that of the spectator yet even i was listening with ill-suppressed disgust when i was aware of a violent plucking at my sleeve is he saying he kicked her downstairs asked pinkerton white as saint stephen yes said i his discarded mistress and then he pelted her with stones i suppose that's what gave him the idea for his picture he has just been alleging the pathetic excuse that she was old enough to be his mother something like a sob broke from pinkerton tell him he gasped i can't speak this language though i understand a little i never had any proper education tell him i'm going to punch his head for god's sake do nothing of the sort i cried they don't understand that sort of thing here and i tried to bundle him out tell him first what we think of him he objected let me tell him what he looks in the eyes of a pure-minded american leave that to me said i thrusting pinkerton clear through the door qu'est-ce qu'il a inquired the student what's the matter with him monsieur ce sont mal au coeur d'avoir trop regardé votre croûte said i and made my escape scarce with dignity at pinkerton's heels the gentleman is sick at his stomach from having looked too long at your daub what did you say to him he asked the only thing that he could feel was my reply after this scene the freedom with which i had ejected my new acquaintance and the precipitation with which i had followed him the least i could do was to propose luncheon i have forgot the name of the place to which i led him nothing loath it was on the far side of the luxembourg at least with a garden behind where we were speedily set face to face at table 
and began to dig into each other's history and character like terriers after rabbits according to the approved fashion of youth pinkerton's parents were from the old country there too i incidentally gathered he had himself been born though it was a circumstance he seemed prone to forget whether he had run away or his father had turned him out i never fathomed but about the age of twelve he was thrown upon his own resources a travelling tin-type photographer picked him up like a haw out of a hedgerow on a wayside in new jersey took a fancy to the urchin carried him on with him in his wandering life taught him all he knew himself to take tin-types as well as i can make out and doubt the scriptures and died at last in ohio at the corner of a road he was a grand specimen cried pinkerton i wish you could have seen him mr dodd he had an appearance of magnanimity that used to remind me of the patriarchs on the death of this random protector the boy inherited the plant and continued the business it was a life i could have chosen mr dodd he cried i have been in all the finest scenes of that magnificent continent that we were born to be the heirs of i wish you could see my collection of tintypes i wish i had them here they were taken for my own pleasure and to be a memento and they show nature in her grandest as well as her gentlest moments as he tramped the western states and territories taking tintypes the boy was continually getting hold of books good bad and indifferent popular and abstruse from the novels of sylvanus cobb to euclid's elements both of which i found to my almost equal wonder he had managed to peruse he was taking stock by the way of the people the products and the country with an eye unusually observant and a memory unusually retentive and he was collecting for himself a body of magnanimous and semi-intellectual nonsense which he supposed to be the natural thoughts and to contain the whole duty of the born american to be pure-minded to be patriotic to get culture and money with both hands and with the same irrational fervour these appeared to be the chief articles of his creed in later days not of course upon this first occasion i would sometimes ask him why and he had his answer pat to build up the type he would cry we're all committed to that we're all under bond to fulfil the american type london the hope of the world is there if we fail like these old feudal monarchies what is left the trade of a tintyper proved too narrow for the lad's ambition it was insusceptible of expansion he explained it was not truly modern and by a sudden conversion of front he became a railroad scalper the principles of this trade i never clearly understood but its essence appears to be to cheat the railroads out of their due fare i threw my whole soul into it i grudged myself food and sleep while i was at it the most practised hands admitted i had caught on to the idea in a month and revolutionized the practice inside of a year he said and there's interest in it too it's amusing to pick out someone going by make up your mind about his character and tastes dash out of the office and hit him flying with the offer of the very place he wants to go i don't think there was a scalper on the continent made fewer blunders but i took it only as a stage i was saving every dollar i was looking ahead i knew what i wanted wealth education a refined home and a conscientious cultured lady for a wife for mr dodd this with a formidable outcry every man is bound to marry above him if the woman's not the man's superior i brand it as mere sensuality there was my idea at least that was what i was saving for and enough too 
but it isn't every man i know that it's far from every man could do what i did close up the livest agency in st joe where he was coining dollars by the pot set out alone without a friend or a word of french and settle down here to spend his capital learning art was it an old taste i asked him or a sudden fancy neither mr dodd he admitted of course i had learned in my tintyping excursions to glory and exult in the works of god but it wasn't that i just said to myself what is the most wanted in my age and country more culture and more art i said and i chose the best place saved my money and came here to get them the whole attitude of this young man warmed and shamed me he had more fire in his little toe than i had in my whole carcass he was stuffed to bursting with the manly virtues thrift and courage glowed in him and even if his artistic vocation seemed to one of my exclusive tenets not quite clear who could predict what might be accomplished by a creature so full-blooded and so inspired with animal and intellectual energy so when he proposed that i should come and see his work one of the regular stages of a latin quarter friendship i followed him with interest and hope he lodged parsimoniously at the top of a tall house near the observatory in a bare room principally furnished with his own trunks and papered with his own despicable studies no man has less taste for disagreeable duties than myself perhaps there is only one subject on which i cannot flatter a man without a blush but upon that upon all that touches art my sincerity is roman once and twice i made the circuit of his walls in silence spying in every corner for some spark of merit he meanwhile following close at my heels reading the verdict in my face with furtive glances presenting some fresh study for my inspection with undisguised anxiety and after it had been silently weighed in the balances and found wanting whisking it away with an open gesture of despair by the time the second round was completed we were both extremely depressed oh he groaned breaking the long silence it's quite unnecessary you should speak do you want me to be frank with you i think you are wasting time said i you don't see any promise he inquired beguiled by some return of hope and turning upon me the embarrassing brightness of his eye not in this still life here of, of the melon one fellow thought it good it was the least i could do to give the melon a more particular examination which when i had done i could but shake my head i am truly sorry pinkerton said i but i can't advise you to persevere he seemed to recover his fortitude at the moment rebounding from disappointment like a man of india rubber well he said stoutly i don't know that i'm surprised but i'll go on with the course and throw my whole soul into it too you mustn't think the time is lost it's all culture it will help me to extend my relations when i get back home it may fit me for a position on one of the illustrateds and then i can always turn dealer he said uttering the monstrous proposition which was enough to shake the latin quarter to the dust with entire simplicity it's all experience besides he continued and it seems to me that there's a tendency to underrate experience both as net profit and investment never mind that's done with but it took courage for you to say what you did and i'll never forget it here's my hand mr dodd i'm not your equal in culture or talent you know nothing about that i interrupted i have seen your work but you haven't seen mine no more i have he cried and let's go see it at once but i know you're a way up i can feel it here to say truth 
I was almost ashamed to introduce him to my studio, my work, whether absolutely good or bad, being so vastly superior to his. But his spirits were now quite restored, and he amazed me on the way with his light-hearted talk and new projects, so that I began at last to understand how matters lay, that this was not an artist who had been deprived of the practice of his single art, but only a businessman of very extended interests, informed, perhaps something of the most suddenly, that one investment out of twenty had gone wrong. As a matter of fact, besides, although I never suspected it, he was already seeking consolation with another of the muses, and pleasing himself with the notion that he would repay me for my sincerity, cement our friendship, and, at one and the same blow, restore my estimation of his talents. Several times already, when I had been speaking of myself, he had pulled out a writing pad and scribbled a brief note. And now, when we entered the studio, I saw it in his hand again, and the pencil go to his mouth, as he cast a comprehensive glance round the uncomfortable building. "'Are you going to make a sketch of it?' I could not help asking, as I unveiled the genius of Muskegon. "'Ah, that's my secret,' said he. "'Never you mind. A mouse can help a lion.' He walked round my statue, and had the design explained to him. I had represented Muskegon as a young, almost a stripling, mother, with something of an Indian type. The babe upon her knees was winged, to indicate our soaring future, and her seat was a medley of sculptured fragments, Greek, Roman, and Gothic, to remind us of the older worlds from which we trace our generation. "'Now, does this satisfy you, Mr. Dodd?' he inquired, as soon as I had explained to him the main features of the design. "'Well,' I said, "'the fellows seem to think it's not a bad bonne femme for a beginner.' I don't think it's entirely bad myself. Here is the best point. It builds up best from here. No, it seems to me it has a kind of merit, I admitted, but I mean to do better. Ah, that's the word, cried Pinkerton. There's the word I love, and he scribbled in his pad. What in creation ails you, I inquired. It's the most commonplace expression in the English language. Better and better, chuckled Pinkerton. The unconsciousness of genius. Lord, but this is coming in beautiful, and he scribbled again. "'If you're going to be fulsome,' said I, "'I'll close the place of entertainment,' and I threatened to replace the veil upon the genius. "'No, no,' said he, "'don't be in a hurry. Give me a point or two. Show me what's particularly good.' "'I would rather you found that out for yourself,' said I. "'The trouble is,' said he, "'that I've never turned my attention to sculpture, beyond, of course, admiring it, as everybody must, who has a soul. So do just be a good fellow and explain to me what you like in it, and what you tried for, and where the merit comes in. It'll all be education for me. Well, in sculpture, you see, the first thing you have to consider is the masses. It's, after all, a kind of architecture, I began, and delivered a lecture on that branch of art with illustrations from my own masterpiece there present, all of which, if you don't mind, or whether you mind or not, I mean to conscientiously omit Pinkerton listened with a fiery interest, questioned me with a certain uncultivated shrewdness, and continued to scratch down notes and tear fresh sheets from his pad. I found it inspiring to have my words thus taken down like a professor's lecture, and, having had no previous experience of the press, I was unaware that they were all being taken down wrong. For the same reason, incredible as it must appear in an American, I never entertained the least suspicion that they were destined to be dished up with a sauce of penny-aligning gossip. 
and myself my person and my works of art butchered to make a holiday for the readers of a sunday paper night had fallen over the genius of muskegon before the issue of my theoretic eloquence was stayed nor did i separate from my new friend without an appointment for the morrow i was indeed greatly taken with this first view of my countrymen and continued on further acquaintance to be interested amused and attracted by him in about equal proportions i must not say he had a fault not only because my mouth is sealed by gratitude but because those he had sprang merely from his education and you could see he had cultivated and improved them like virtues for all that i can never deny he was a troublous friend to me and the trouble began early it may have been a fortnight later that i divined the secret of the writing-pad my wretch it leaked out wrote letters for a paper in the west and had filled a part of one of them with descriptions of myself i pointed out to him that he had no right to do so without asking my permission why this is just what i hoped he exclaimed i thought you didn't seem to catch on only it seemed too good to be true but my good fellow you were bound to warn me i objected i know it's generally considered etiquette he admitted but between friends and when it was only with a view of serving you i thought it wouldn't matter i wanted it if possible to come on you as a surprise i wanted you just to waken like lord byron and find the papers full of you you must admit it was a natural thought and no man likes to boast of a favour beforehand but heavens on earth how do you know i think it's a favour he became immediately plunged in despair you think it a liberty said he i see that i would rather have cut off my hand i would stop it now only it's too late it's published by now and i wrote it with so much pride and pleasure i could think of nothing but how to console him oh i dare say it's all right said i i know you meant it kindly and you would be sure to do it in good taste that you may swear to he cried it's a pure bright a number one paper the st joe sunday herald the idea of the series was quite my own i interviewed the editor put it to him straight the freshness of the idea took him and i walked out of that office with the contract in my pocket and did my first paris letter that evening in st joe the editor did no more than glance his eye down the headlines you're the man for us said he i was certainly far from reassured by this sketch of the class of literature in which i was to make my first appearance but i said no more and possessed my soul in patience until the day came when i received a copy of a newspaper marked in the corner compliments of j p i opened it with sensible shrinkings and there wedged between an account of a prize-fight and a skittish article upon chiropody think of chiropody treated with a leer i came upon a column and a half in which myself and my poor statue were embalmed like the editor with the first of the series i did but glance my eye down the headlines and was more than satisfied another of pinkerton's spicy chats art practitioners in paris muskegon's columned capital son of millionaire dodd patriot and artist he means to do better in the body of the text besides my eye caught as it passed some deadly expressions figure somewhat fleshy bright intellectual smile the unconsciousness of genius now mr dodd resumed the reporter what would be your idea of a distinctively american quality in sculpture it was true the question had been asked it was true alas that i had answered 
and now here was my reply, or some strange hash of it, gibbeted in the cold publicity of type. I thanked God that my French fellow-students were ignorant of English, that when I thought of the British, of Minor, for instance, or the Stennises, I think I could have fallen on Pinkerton and beat him. To divert my thoughts, if it were possible, from this calamity, I turned to a letter from my father, which had arrived by the same post. The envelope contained a strip of newspaper cutting, and my eye caught again, Son of Millionaire Dodd, figure somewhat fleshy, and the rest of the degrading nonsense. What would my father think of it? I wondered and opened his manuscript. My dearest boy, it began, I send you a cutting which has pleased me very much from a St. Joseph newspaper of high standing. At last you seem to be coming fairly to the front, and I cannot but reflect with delight and gratitude how very few youths of your age occupy nearly two columns of press matter all to themselves. I only wish your dear mother had been here to read it over my shoulder, but we will hope she shares my grateful emotion in a better place. Of course, I have sent a copy to your grandfather and uncle in Edinburgh, so you can keep the one I enclose. This Jim Pinkerton seems a valuable acquaintance. He has certainly great talent, and it is a good general rule to keep in with pressmen. I hope it will be set down to the right side of my account, but I had no sooner read these words, so touchingly silly, than my anger against Pinkerton was swallowed up in gratitude. Of all the circumstances of my career, my birth, perhaps, excepted, not one had given my poor father so profound a pleasure as this article in the Sunday Herald. What a fool, then, was I to be lamenting, when I had at last, and for once, and at the cost of only a few blushes, paid back a fraction of my debt of gratitude. So that, when I next met Pinkerton, I took things very lightly. My father was pleased, and thought the letter was very clever, I told him. For my own part, I had no taste for publicity, thought the public had no concern with the artist, only with his art, and though I owned he had handled it with great consideration, I should take it as a favor if he never did it again. There it is, he said despondingly. I've hurt you. You can't deceive me, Loudon. It's the want of tact, and it's incurable. He sat down and leaned his head upon his hand. I had no advantages when I was young, you see, he added. Not in the least, my dear fellow, said I. Only the next time you wish to do me a service, just speak about my work. Leave my wretched person out, and my still more wretched conversation. And above all, I added with an irrepressible shudder, don't tell them how I said it. There's that phrase now, with a proud, glad smile. Who cares whether I smiled or not? Oh, there now, Loudon, you're entirely wrong, he broke in. That's what the public likes. That's the merit of the thing, the literary value. It's to call up the scene before them. It's to enable the humblest citizen to enjoy that afternoon the same as I did. Think what it would have been to me when I was tramping around with my tintypes to find a column and a half of real cultured conversation, an artist in his studio abroad talking of his art, and to know how he looked as he did it, and what the room was like, and what he had for breakfast, and to tell myself, eating tinned beans beside a creek, that if all went well the same sort of thing would, sooner or later, happen to myself. Why, Loudon, it would have been like a peephole into heaven. Well, if it gives so much pleasure, I admitted, the sufferers shouldn't complain. Only give the other fellows a turn. The end of the matter was to bring myself and the journalist in a more close relation, 
if i know anything at all of human nature and the if is no mere figure of speech but stands for honest doubt no series of benefits conferred or even dangers shared would have so rapidly confirmed our friendship as this quarrel avoided this fundamental difference of taste and training accepted and condoned end of chapter three